to lay on these four chairs. I'm going to I'm going to bring up my posse because we're going to, yeah, you're my, you're my peeps. And we're going to do something different tonight. Um, do what? What? Okay. We were talking the other day, and when we knew Brian was going to be out, and we were trying to get the leading on what to do with Brian being gone. And this just this came to all of us and just seemed like a good thing to do. Um, we wanted to discuss who was your neighbor. And the reason is, if you will turn to Matthew 22, starting at verse 36, we're going to go through 40. It says, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then you go to verse 39 and 40, and it says, A second is equally important. And I want you to notice that word, equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know, it tells us in the first one, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, mind. I mean, and that's just where you get to the point that you know my joy is found in him. My source is found in him. My peace, my comfort, if it's something I need, it's found in him. That's my ditty, and I love my ditty to no end because he loves me to no end. He gave everything for me. But then it says the second is equally important to love your neighbor as yourself. And I know the first time I heard that, I was like, as yourself? I'm like, okay, here's, there's two things. One, I don't always love myself. And two, I mean, when we do, doesn't that sound kind of prideful? I mean, we're taught, you know, you should put others before yourself and everything. But this says to love, love others as you love yourself. Everybody loves themselves whether you realize it or not. But the thing is, that's not a bad thing. It only gets bad when you inject pride in it. You should love yourself because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are, the, you are made in the image of your Father, your heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth. That's who you are. Created in his image. You have him abiding in you. The Holy Spirit abiding in you. That is something wonderful to love. But it's when we get to the point where it's all about me and not all about him in me. That's when it becomes wrong. But think about it. If we love others as we love ourselves, realizing that we're a part of God, then I'm loving Roger and I'm loving Jade because I realize and I love Seth too most every day. Um, <laughs> because I realize I'm looking at the image of Christ. As I look at Stephen, I'm looking at the image of Christ. As I see Marissa, I'm seeing the hands and feet of God looking at me. That's important. When you realize that that's who you're looking at, how can you not look at it with such love? You know? But let me ask you a question. Look at the state of this world. Are we loving God? We're throwing his commandments away. We're throwing his leading away. We're throwing his love away. 
left and right. And it's not just the world, y'all. The church is doing the same thing. The fact of the matter is, homosexuals hate the church because the church hated them first. Because the church forgot that we're supposed to judge ourselves so we'd not be judged. It doesn't say anything about judging others. We're not to judge others. But we didn't love them. That's what they're needing. They're needing love. They're just finding it in the wrong places. It's our job to love them. Don't you think that if we love them as we love ourselves, as we love God, the outcome would be so much different? So we're forgetting to love him and we're turning on each other. So what happened to the greatest commandment? It's right out the door. And unfortunately, it's the Christians that held the door wide open. The world doesn't know him. They don't know his love, so we can't blame them. Yeah, they're the ones out there, you know, stomping on our flags and, you know, trying to pass these laws and, you know, throwing other laws out the way. But what do we expect? It's a world that does not know the Father and does not know their love. Instead, we should be realizing that what we sing when we praise and worship is fact, where your light will shine when all else fades. Or the post that Pastor Brian posted on Facebook. It's a dark background. There's these bright, vibrant colors. Use the darkness of the world to be the contrast, to light it up. Who wants to go into darkness? People want to come and see the light. They want to see the colors. If we were being that light, they'd be running to us. But the problem is we've forgotten to love our neighbor. And we can't love them because we ourselves, even as the body of Christ, do not understand the love of God. We don't understand who we are in God. And we don't have that experiential knowledge of his love for us. Um, so what I wanted to do tonight was I wanted to discuss, and we're just going to kind of do a panel discussion, and I want, your in, I want your input. And if you're watching on live stream, text somebody here or something. But I want, I want your questions. I want your input. If you have commentary or questions about it, and we're all, it's not, it's not going to be the Nicole show, we're all going to be up here discussing this and talking about it and answering questions. But I want to know, what does the greatest commandment mean for today? Who is our neighbor? I live in a field. My, my physical neighbor is some soy. No, no, this year we had, there was wheat back here and wheat over here. And used to we had corn over here, but they didn't plant it this year. I think it was soybeans. So my physical neighbor is a whole bunch of plants, but there are other neighbors. So who is our neighbor? And how do we love them when we don't know how to love ourselves? So, yeah, ready, go. What y'all got? I think um, when we first mentioned this topic, uh, it, it, it struck me because I, I work with uh, with a couple of fellows that are m much younger than myself. They're, they're I would consider them, you know, the current generation. You know, uh, I've never worked with anybody that young before, so it's very interesting to have that personal interaction. And they think very, very differently than I do. Very differently. M my parents were Depression era folks, so I grew up under that kind of tutelage. And um, sorry, 
my parents were depression era, so I grew up under a whole different set of rules and regulations and whatever. So these young guys, they see the world very differently. So th and they're not church-going people, although their parents are. So they ask me questions all the time. Like, you know, w what about the Crusades? And, and, you know, what about homosexuality? And what does the church say? And how come the church does this? And how come the church does that? And, and, and they're very jaded. They've, they do not want anything to do with the church because, like Nicole said, they never saw the love. Yeah. Th they hate the church. And they despise the church because all they think of is, you know, child molestations and all kinds of bizarre stuff that the news has spread. And so it really taxes me because I, I'm not a preacher and I'm not a biblical scholar and they're asking me really tough questions. And so as I'm talking and witnessing to these guys, I found myself coming back to these two things. I said, listen, you need to put all that stuff out of your mind. Forget about the Crusades. That was a thousand years ago. It really just comes down to this. Love God and love your neighbor. That's all it comes down to. And all that other stuff doesn't line up with that. So they were wrong. And that's the simple truth of it. And I think a lot of times people will defend the Crusades and they'll take political sides and all these arguments. And really, it's, it's just that simple. Love God, love your neighbor. And you can judge your actions first and foremost by those two criteria. Yeah. Is what I'm doing loving on God and loving my neighbor? Either or. And if they're not, then you're not really Christian, <laughs> at least at that moment. I mean, and those are the things we need to aspire to as Christians. If you want to broadcast to the world that you're a Christian, you better be loving God, yeah. and you better be loving your neighbor. And all too often, we find people who love to associate themselves with the Christian church, like, well, I'm a Christian, and, and they're out doing all kinds of ungodly stuff, and that's a witness to the world. And they're watching, like Nicole said, they're watching, mm -hmm. and they see that behavior, and then they start to ask questions like, well, what is the church doing, you know? And they just think the whole church is doing what that one person is doing, and that's not the case at all. Well, and so. the word says you're going to know a tree by its fruit. Absolutely. So, I mean, just for yourself, you have a question? You have a comment? Yeah. I mean, and yeah, they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, okay, is this a Jesus tree? Are they going to see the Jesus in you? Because you may be it. That's what Sherman's saying. When they look at you, you may be the only Jesus that they see. So are you giving them rotten fruit and that's who they think God is? This is why there is somebody in Albemarle, in Albemarle, young girl who when, I mean, she's sweetheart of a girl. We are friends. Me and Brian are friends with her, go out to lunch with her, love on her all the time. But you mentioned the word church and it's like, what? Because she's afraid she's going to come in and somebody's going to see a tattoo on her or somebody's going to see that she's never gone to church and immediately it's going to be. She thinks that all church is, is that fire and brimstone kind of preaching that we are judging, judging people. That's how they see God because that's what we give them. So what kind of, what kind of fruit are we showing the world? I think for me, a lot of this comes back to 1 John 4, 7 and 8, where it talks about, um, and I'm going to have to say it in the King James in order to get it right, but it's, um, beloved, let us love one another, for love, of, love is of God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for yeah. God is love. For me, what it boils down to is I think that so often, church people get so frustrated with people who are, 
seem to be more worldly. They'll be like, well, why can't, why can't you see that this is wrong? Why, why can't you see that what you're doing is hurting you? Why can't you see that there's a better way? But if we examine ourselves and we honestly take a true look at ourselves in the word of God as Christians, putting those other people aside, if we look at the word, the word tells us that if People don't know God. It's because they don't know love and they've never experienced him. We're not to be God, but we're to bring God into a room with us and introduce people to God. So if we're, I was talking to my friend Desi tonight about this. If we're in a situation and people surrounding us don't know God, they don't seem to understand love, they're not moving in love, that's not their fault. They don't know better. They've never been introduced to the God Almighty, the King of Kings, the one who loves them enough to look past every single part of who they are and love them. And that's our fault because we, we're not showing them that love. Yeah. And I know for me, I used to get super angry working with people who didn't love Jesus and would cuss around me and would just be as unholy as they could be. And I would get so frustrated until I realized they're doing this because I haven't shown God to them. I've never introduced them. I've never taken that time. So if I'm loving people as myself, I want to know God. Why am I not doing that? And I think that fear a lot of times kind of propagates that. I think fear of rejection by man and fear of not knowing what the reaction is going to be keeps us from doing this and keeps us from reaching out to the lost who are literally going to go to hell because we're afraid that they're going to think we're weird. We're the people that can lead them to the Savior. We're the ones who are the hands and feet of Jesus who can see that they're in the very pits of hell and we have the answers to bring them back and it comes down to are we gonna let stupid pride and this is to me just as much as it is to anyone else am I gonna let pride keep me from telling somebody about someone who loves them more than anyone else could so that their lives get to do a 180 all right I'm gonna take it all the way back I'm gonna take it back I've got pages. So being the children's ministry director here or leader here, I tend to want to go back to what's the theory? What's the word say? What are all of the different ways that the Bible presents this concept to us? So I went out and I did a little study and I actually found a really interesting um, article that, uh, that really digs into this concept. So Abigail. Hi, Abigail. Can you please put up in the New American Standard? Can you please put up Matthew 7, 12? Do, 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 do. While she's doing that. There we go. I think, I think Barrett hit a good point. Um, you know, it's, we forget that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And so, you know, we go to church and, you know, or work and stuff, and you know, Barrett was talking about, we let our pride get in the way, and that's the truth because I'm, I've been the same way. I'll look at them and it's like, why aren't you as good as me? Why won't you behave? But I can't get mad at Abigail for not knowing how to drive a car. She's never been taught. So I'm not going to scream at her and go, you're awful. You don't know how to drive. 
But we do that with the world. They've never been taught. We're certainly not always showing them the love of God. So how are they going to know it? But we have to remember it's that goodness of God that leads men to repentance instead of judgmentalism. Exactly. So Matthew 7, 12, uh, what I thought was interesting is it says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So what this scripture is saying, what Jesus is saying here is, this is the law. Right? This is the core. Um, Abigail, if you'd go to Romans 13, 8 through 10. What's interesting here is Jesus kind of gives it a different spin, um, or there is a different spin. Paul gives it a different spin in Romans um, when we get beyond um, Jesus' being here with us. So, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's interesting is the one before said, it is the fulfillment of the law. Or it is the fulfillment of the law. So it is the law, and then it's the fulfillment of the law. So the fulfillment means that when we act in love, we are actually being the hands and feet and the face of God. We are fulfilling that law. Now, last but not least is the scripture that Nicole started us off on, which is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And that is, teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That means everything else under heaven, Mm -hmm. every other word in the Bible, hang, depend on. Foundation is here. If you were to distill it to one word, it's love. So it is the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. And everything else hangs on it. So it's three different ways to sort of look at the same thing, right? I mean, we've all known the golden rule our whole life. Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus and the disciples present it in a way that make you go, Holy cow. That means if all I do is focus my whole being, my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul on God, all of it, then the manifestation of the love for my father is going to come out overflowing to anybody I come across. The people I love, the people I don't love. How many of us have people in our lives that drive us absolutely batty? Right? Batty. Yeah. Sirius is, Siri, Siri is, is searching for me. I'll turn Siri over. So, you know, I guess my short little testimony, and I'll hand the mic off to the next of us, is I was 19 years old 
I was working as a nursing assistant in a long-term care facility. I just graduated high school. I was trying to decide if nursing was what I wanted to do. My mom, who was also a nurse, was working in this nursing home as a nurse, right? She's at her med cart. She's passing her medicines. There was a patient that was way down in the corner on a hallway, and she drove us all nuts, right? She would call out a lot. She would um, bark a lot. She'd pinch. She'd try and bite you. She's a really interesting lady. And she, I used to really resist taking care of her, and I'd kind of complain or I'd whine to my mom, oh, God, i got to go take care of so-and-so again, until my mom one day pulled me aside and kind of yanked my chain. And she said, I want to plant a seed in your mind that hopefully will stay with you the rest of your life. When you look at her, you are looking at Christ. So how you think on her, how you act towards her, how you treat her should be as if it were Christ sitting in that wheelchair. And in 22 years, I have never lost that testimony. I have never lost the impact that that had on my nursing career and on who I am as a human being. I want to get back to one thing that you mentioned. You, 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 the scriptures that you, you brought up talked a lot about the law. Even this one here says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. In the version that I read, and I don't remember which one it is now, the guy who's asking this question, which commandment of these is the greatest, was a lawyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why Jesus made specific mention of the law, because the, the question was not asked to gain knowledge and edification. He was trying to trap Jesus. Yeah. He was trying to catch him, paint him into a corner verbally, and say, okay, ch- checkmate, gotcha. What's your answer to that one? Which they've done on many occasions. They tried to do that to him. So that's why he brings us out and says, this is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, all that head knowledge you have about the law, it's all wrapped up in this. And that's not what that guy wanted to hear. So uh, there's some interesting stuff about that story. So in the story, the, there's a guy walking from Jerusalem to Jericho or vice versa. And Jericho, as I understand it, was a city of status. Uh, priests and Levites typically inhabited that city and they would walk to the temple over in Jerusalem. So these are men of status. They're the ones that drive the Mercedes and the ritzy cars, you know, and everybody's like, ooh, they're, you know, they're made of money. These guys are, you know, they're up there. Um, so when this guy was attacked by thieves and beaten and left for dead in the ditch, Um, the first person by was a priest. And so Jesus is giving this guy an example specifically for him to say, here's a guy who lives by a moral code. He's a priest. He lives by the moral law, and he does nothing. So there's your moral law for you. That'll get you nothing. The second guy that comes along is a Levite. He's from the tribe of Levi, descendant of Levi, and they were uh, keepers of the temple. So it was their job to maintain the temple and the ways of the temple. They represented ritualistic law. In other words, if you do the right things ritualistically, you're fulfilling the law. And so he comes over and looks at the guy, at least looks at him, and then walks on. So Jesus has basically given the guy another example. So much for your ritualistic law. It gets you nothing. So who does eventually help the guy? And so the Jews at this time, the ancient Israelites, hated the Samaritans. So you could say today it would be like the Israelis and the Palestinians. A Palestinian stops and helps him. 
And of course, you tell that to a modern day Israeli and they'll be like, oh, you know, no, absolutely not. They hated, culturally hated the Samaritans. And so when he says, who was the neighbor in this story, he wants the guy to say, it was the Samaritan. And the guy will not say it. He hates him so much. He says, it was the one who showed him mercy. He tries to get around even saying the word Samaritan. And so what it's demonstrating is that even those people that we would consider our enemy, we need to demonstrate that kind of love to them. Because most likely the guy who was beat up and left for dead was a Jewish peddler or a traitor. And so a Samaritan, a person who is his mortal enemy by culture, stops, helps him, dresses his wounds, pays for his stay in the inn, and says, I will come back and pay any debts that this guy owes if he stays here longer than this. So he's basically shutting the door on this guy's entire outlook on reality. It really goes back to what Pastor was talking about, the flesh reality and the spiritual reality. Your flesh reality is worthless. And Jesus paints that beautifully and very eloquently with just this little passage, shuts this guy down entirely. I just thought, give you a little background information on that story. And I think the difference of the two realities is key. It's because, you know, I'm sitting here going, why is it so hard to love our neighbor? And then I look at, you know, my examples of, okay, where are times in the past where I didn't love? And it's because anytime I was looking at them, I wasn't looking at God in them. I was looking at the flesh. Yeah. I was looking at, well, because he is this and he does this and he says that. And God said, yeah, but my son died for him too. And that's what we have to do. We have to look. I don't care if it's, what was dude's name, Dylan Roof, is that his name? I don't care if it's him or Jeffrey Dahmer or Hitler or who it is. Jesus died for them as much as he did for any of us. And if any of them were to say, I messed up, and I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Immediately, they have a mansion in heaven with you. And it's time for us to look at them the way God looks at us. He doesn't look at us and see our sins and see all the things that we've done wrong. He looks at us and he sees the blood of Jesus shed for us. He sees his child, his baby girl, his little boy. That's what he sees. And if we're going to love with the love of God, we have to look with the eyes of God. It's funny that you mentioned um, the Charleston shooting. I, I had very purposely kind of tried to stay away from it just because I, I wanted to pray, but I didn't want to know a whole lot of details until last night, um, which the Holy Spirit's funny. But I was reading articles on it and on Dylan and what had propagated his hate um, because he, he very specifically told police during interrogations that he, his intention was to create a race war between African Americans and white people. And he had read all of these articles on things that may or may not have happened. And it just filled him with hate. It filled him with all this stuff. So he surrounded himself with people that filled him with all of this darkness and fueled it. And he went to this church and he told the police during an interrogation that he went to the church and he sat through a Bible study. He was there for a really long time. And he told the police that he almost was unable to go through with what he was there to do because they had loved him and because they were so nice to him. He was there for like an hour, an hour, almost completely unraveled everything that was within him. 
that was an hour. He'd had no one else that was pointing him toward the light. And see, that was just the love of strangers. Imagine the people that are in your lives right now that have just immense darkness pressing on them and beating them down. Nicole said it earlier that it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance, not the, you suck, fix yourself. That doesn't do jack squat. It's the goodness. It's the love. It's the mercy. It's the patience. This kid could have completely stopped this had it just been a little more time. Or one word from somebody. Or one word from somebody. It doesn't. Yeah. How do we know there wasn't one person sitting there and, you know, maybe there's a guy sitting over here and God's telling him, go, just go sit beside him. But no, I'm scared. I don't want to tell him. He's probably going to think I'm weird. He's some young kid, some young punk who has it. Or he looks weird. And it's that pride that stopped Mm -hmm. it. See, it, we, we don't think that these little tiny leadings mean much. It, smile at that person. Smile at Roger. Well, no, I don't want to smile at Roger. Double smile at you, but I won't smile at you because I don't want to smile at you. I, I was reading an article. I, I, I don't know. Well, I do know now apparently why I was reading so much this week. But I was reading this article on this guy who was literally planning to kill himself. And he said that he saw somebody in a supermarket um, who just came up and gave him $5 and told him to have a good day. And that little that, – that may have meant nothing to that guy. That guy could have been a bajillionaire. It was like $5. It's like a penny. But to him, it meant the world, and it changed everything. But it's a matter of putting ourselves down. And for me, I know for me, that can be super hard. I work in an industry where I have people yell at me pretty much daily and call me pretty much every single name in the book that you can imagine or not imagine. I've heard lots of them. And it can be real fun when I have some person in my job who is blessing me up and down and telling me which way I can go and how I can get there and how quickly she's going to make that happen. And I can want to yell up a storm, but it's taken, and this is why God has me there is because while I may still have an initial reaction, I now have spiritual eyes to be like, she's hurting somehow. Yeah. She's broken somehow. She doesn't have God in her. How sad is this? She needs someone to pray for her. And rather than get mad back, I'd rather she yell at me because I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to show her mercy. I may not want to, and man, I may complain to Nicole later, but... <laughs> I'll show her mercy. I'll show her that love because that's what people need. And it's a matter of, am I going to put myself down? And am I going to inject the love of God into this situation? Or am I going to let it grow and grow and grow and let darkness spread? And that's what's happened to our country is people have gotten to be chicken and they've just shut up and darkness has spread like wildfire. Back to the uh, to the lawyer when Jesus when Jesus gave them that parable, the lawyer asked him as soon as he was done with that, and he says, you know, well, it wasn't even it was before the parable, but when he said, uh, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself, and the lawyer says to him, who is my neighbor? And I honestly think he was being literal, and he wanted a list. He he wanted to hear, well, it's the uptown folks, uh, it's the temple attendees, it's these people over here, and and not those people, yeah. not the Samaritans. And and that's what really shut him down is when it was the Samaritan. You know, he didn't have a choice. And and part of what I I remember reading was, you know, he just saw the need and he met that need, 
And that's what it is to, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see a need in the neighbor, you meet that need. There's no criteria about who that person is. You just meet their need and let God handle the rest. Okay, I'll leave it on. Okay. I love y'all. Love you a lot. <clears throat> so I think the thing for me that's been intriguing about marinating on this all week, or at least a good number or a good amount of time before we've been here tonight, is I think a lot of people want to hang everything on love your neighbor as yourself. And they forget that that flows from yep. loving God yep. with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your spirit. So I think folks can get sort of wrapped around the axle a little bit when it comes to getting frustrated with people or frustrated with situations or, um, you know, someone at work is aggravating you, that we think that loving them should come out of ourselves. Yeah. And it does, but that's got to flow from yep. a overflowing yep. knowing of God, yep. right? Brian spent a good chunk of time talking about reset. So, you know, before we step into loving our neighbor, even though it is the second and equal command, it's more important for us to stop and turn and say, wait, I need to have a deep, abiding, strong love for my God and Father. Because it is through that love that I am then able to overflow into the lives of other people. And you know what? When I know that God loves me and that he and I have a strong fellowship, is anyone going to get on my nerves? Is anything going to try my patience? Not if I have a really strong reset relationship yeah. with my father. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to have and work toward and strive for that relationship with God. And I think that's why your verses were telling us the second and great or second and equal of loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of the first. Because if you are loving others, if you are loving your neighbor, by default, you are loving God. Because if you are loving them, then you are seeing God in them. You are seeing who they really are, not what the flesh looks like. This is just a shell. This isn't who we are. The way they act, most of the times, it'll tell you what's going on in their lives. That's why they bless, bear it out. They're stressed out. You know, they may have just had a family member die, and you know, they don't know how to react. Or, you know, all heck could have just broke loose at work, and somebody screamed at them, and this is, you know, I don't know her. I'll never see her again. I'm going to give her what I got. We have to look past the shell and see God in them. And that's why that second one is the fulfillment of the first. Because when you're loving them, you're loving God because that's who is in them, whether they realize it or not. I think um, to Deb's point, it's, it's absolutely true. Like It has to be an overflow of the first to get to the second mm -hmm. because we can in our own strength we can't like we can we can we can love people but it's going to be for such a short amount of time 
and it's going to falter and it's going to stop and you're going to hate your patient's quota and you're going to stop wanting to love and you're going to start wanting to yell or freak out or get overwhelmed or whatever. And I know for me, I it's very evident for me when I've had my time in the morning decompressing and spending time with God, I can tell the difference throughout the entire day at work, whether or not I've had that time with God or not. I, I, with the youth, I told them a couple weeks ago that throughout the summer, I wanted to challenge them with me to take 15 minutes in the morning or at some point in time throughout the day and just have 15 minutes with God. And so for me, I'm doing that in the morning as I'm getting ready for work. And there have been a couple mornings where I've forgotten to. And about halfway through the day, I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me with these people. I'm, I'm going to smack someone really hard. And then he's like, really are you and I I'd immediately calm back down but it's a completely different scenario when I've had that time in the morning and I'm like you know what God give me your eyes so that I can see people the way that you see people give me your ears to hear what they're actually saying give me the discernment to understand what a situation is where I'm supposed to inject myself and let me just be you and having that time in the morning and talking with him I'll get into work and it'll be the same stuff it'll be the exact same situation it's like a circle all the time it's a cycle but I go into work that day and nothing touches me and it's fine and people can be dumb all they want to but I had I had a guy today actually I prayed this morning I gave the day to God and I had a guy come in today bless me up and down and it was fine I was like okay okay I'm really sorry I'd have a good day he was going to come back in later and he has done this at least eight times. Um, so it's not just a for, it's a repeat offender sort of a thing. But I was like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. And my new manager um, and I were talking about it. I'm like, it's no big deal. If he needed to do that, he needed to do that. It's forgiven. It's done. It's fine. Nothing, no big, no big deal. And he came back in later and he asked for me specifically and shook my hand. He goes, I'm very sorry. I should not have done that. And he's done that before, but it hasn't been with any sort of sincerity before. And today there was sincerity and he was tearing up as he was apologizing to me. And that I could give a rip if somebody apologizes, but it's the difference of the grace of God in a situation. And that relationship with God that you ask him for and you have hang out with him and you spend time with him. It's that relationship that's going to change stuff, not your own effort, not your own energy, not what you expel, but what God gets to expel through you. I've talked a lot. It's your turn. Yeah. Uh, before I, I add anything, does anybody have any questions or comments that they'd like to interject? Yeah. Rachel, Rachel Lanza has got really big. <laughs> We've all heard the phenomenon where dad gets yelled at at work, he goes home and he yells at mom, mom yells at the kids, kid kicks the dog. Yeah. I think that uh, as Christians, we've taken the scripture, judgment begins in the house of the Lord, a little wrong. We, we, think, we think that Christians aren't supposed to be able to sin. We see Christians in church and automatically... We're judging them. We've got a critical eye. We're very, we're very, we've, we've, we've put them on a pedestal as mm, they're not supposed to be ones that are making mistakes. And we're very quick to tear them down if they do. Mm -hmm. I think that has spilled over um, where 
as Christians, if we make mistakes, we're hard on ourselves, other people, are, other Christians are hard on us, and we just kick the dog. Yeah. We are looking at the world, and we've got a critical eye about it, and uh, it needs to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and where's that start? Any follow-up? It's to thank you guys yesterday. Uh, two months ago, a girl moved in from Virginia, two doors away from Dixie. She never had a family. When she was little, her father went one way, her mother went the other way. And that's the kind of life Rhonda has had. She didn't know love. And then one day I saw her partner going to the mailbox. And I stopped him and said, I like your shirt, Leonard Skinner. I'm sorry, I was a Leonard Skinner fan. But that's, <laughs> what, that's what God used to get my attention in the door to Rhonda. And her, her boyfriend keeps saying, you keep going to see that lady. You know, why? she's old enough to be your mom. Why you keep going over there? He said, well, I've never had a mom, and she loves me, and I want to find out what makes that lady tick. Well, I brought her to y'all last night, and she found out a little bit about what makes me tick. She wants more. Amen. We have to remember that, you know, Barrett was talking about, well, and Deb, both, it comes out of the overflow. We have to remember that God is love. And so when we inject love in a situation, we are injecting God in the situation. And we have to realize that, you know, whether they call themselves Christians or not, if they don't have God in their lives, they don't have love. Yeah. And they can't give it. And we can't, you know, shake our finger at them for that. Instead, we need to be that. We need to realize, okay, God is love, and I've got God in me, so I am going to inject him by loving on them whether they deserve it or not. Because heaven knows we didn't deserve it when he poured it out on us. Yeah. So when we see people that don't have family or we see people cussing us out, pour out love on them. Because that may be the only love, the only true love that they have ever seen. I think going to Rachel's point, um, I mean, the title of tonight was Do You Know Your Neighbor? And what Rachel was saying, not Rachel Ann, um, what Rachel was saying is that we don't take the time to get to know our neighbor. Yeah. And we can talk about loving and as we absolutely should, and we can talk about loving God and loving people, but are we loving them because we're supposed to or are we actually taking the time to get to know them because i could let's say that roger and it's just because you're in the front i love you but let's say that roger had this massive drug problem he doesn't but let's say that he did and he was coming in here every single night completely just strung out would i be loving him by just saying, you know what, Roger, I hope you have a really good night. I hope you have a good day and being nice to him or would loving him being be being sitting down and taking the time to figure out what's the root of this sin so that I can help him. See, it, we are, we're, we have become a very critical society where we see faults and we see things that are seemingly wrong and we just you know what, we're going to love people in spite of their faults because that's what Jesus would do. No, Jesus would love people in spite of their faults, but Jesus would help fix them. Jesus would e explain, take the time and explain what love is and how love can fix and heal and restore everything. 
We need to get to know people and not just the idea of what they should be, not just the idea of what a good person is or isn't or tolerating somebody's irritations or sins or whatever. We need to actually know them to be able to know how to minister to them, to be able to know how to be the hands and feet of God. I'll give it back to you now, I promise. I was going to add something along the lines of um, the, the whole ditch principle. There's two commandments there. One is to love God and the other is to love your neighbor. So, you know, you, you definitely need that reset relationship with God, but there's also a ditch on that side of the road that, and, and I remember as a kid going to see a cloister of nuns, and they would they would live in this little building, and they never, ever came out. I mean, I was a little kid, and I thought, that's a, that's a waste. I mean, there's so many people that need stuff outside, and how come they don't help people? So, yeah, a cloister, that's what they, okay, that's what they call it, a cloister. Like it's, not a, it's not a seafood. Um <laughs> Being from Maine, you probably thought that. Um, so um, you can fall into that ditch where, you know, you have that reset relationship with God and you keep that at home and that's all you do. And you're just, oh, I just love Jesus so much and you just don't want to deal with people. So you can fall into that ditch as well. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. So here's some practical pieces. Okay, so we've talked, we've talked quite a bit and I think there's a lot of really good juicy meat maturity growing up stuff and that's mm -hmm. good for me it's what does that mean every day mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do every day what does that look like yeah. right I mean we talk about loving mm -hmm. our neighbor mm -hmm. as ourselves that as in there that's a big as um, so <laughs> <laughs> well it is it is Brian it is I'm just saying it's a big as so here you go <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm reading. This is a godly man who wrote these words. I am. I'm telling you. So here, here's some, some practical application to this, and I thought this would be a good point to, to inject it. So as you love yourself, so love your neighbor, right? That's what we've been talking about. Love yourself, therefore love your neighbor, which means as long as you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. Yeah. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend to your neighbor. As you want your life to count and to be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. Right? As you like to be welcomed into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company as you would that men would do to you, so do to them. So the takeaway is make yourself seeking be the measure of yourself giving. So whatever you're seeking for yourself, translate that into what you're giving. Mm -hmm. Right? It's as simple as that and it sounds simple. 
So if you're energetic in pursuing your own happiness, be energetic in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. If you're creative in pursuing your own happiness, be creative in pursuing happiness for your neighbor. If you're preserve, if you're persevering in pursuing your own happiness, be persevering in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. In other words, Jesus is not just saying, seek for your neighbor the same things you seek for yourself, but also seek them in the same way. And that's kind of an interesting twist for me. Measure your pursuit of the happiness of others and what it should be by the pursuit of your own. I know for me, I've heard because, you know, I'll get women calling me and you're needing counsel and needing advice. And I know I've heard this multiple times. When I call, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm an employee, I serve, you know, at the church or whatever. And it's like I give and I give and I give to everybody else. I don't have any time for myself. And if I'm given to this person and given to that person, then what's left for me? And the great thing is, and when, I, when God showed me this, it was, it was a revelation for me. He's like, well, if you've given all of yourself and you've run out of yourself, what's left? Well, God, you're the only thing that's left. So, I mean, it kind of ties in to the tithes and offerings verse. With the measure with which you give, that's what you get. Give all of yourself. Because if you give it all, you've got all of him still there. And he doesn't run out. So I know when I get that question, that's a, that's a question I know somebody's sitting here thinking, well, yeah, I can give all day and give all day, but, you know, where's for me? And then you've got this stupid, and I hate this saying, this stupid saying, well, you've got to do what makes you happy because if you don't, no one else will. That is bull caca. You do what God says. You love your neighbor it's kind of like, you know, when Brian and I were talking about the, um, the marriage and relationships. When did God provide Eve for Adam? It's when Adam was chasing after God. When Adam was doing the things that God was having him doing, then God sent Eve. You chase after God. You do what he's told you. I guarantee that if you're doing that, you're going to find that you're not lacking. That you're finding joy because God is providing it for you. But the problem is, we try to find our joy in the things of the world. And that's just why the world is the way it is. Because it's trying to find joy in love everywhere else. Because we've not shown that God is love. So don't listen to that mess of, I can't give because then there's nothing left for me. I've got to be able to you know, make, what, make me happy. Because if I don't, no one else will. When the truth of the matter is, is if you will love them and get yourself out of the way... God will give you everything you need for yourself. Yeah. Um, solely for the point of discussion, I will put this point out there. And, and I already have an answer in mind, but I'll ask you anyway. So um, I got saved, let's say, last week. And I've, you know, I've got a bad outlook. People have treated me wrong maybe my whole life. Um, and I'm just not a people person. So how, how am I supposed to love my neighbor tomorrow? What does that look like? Well, you're not a people. Are we talking about you? No, or this is hypothetical. Oh, it's hypothetical. Okay. Um, for the record. No, I think that to a degree, 
it's all where you're at. I mean, when Jim was here a couple of times ago, he talked about healing and being able to receive healing for where you're at. Like some people can receive full, full healing, but if you don't have the faith for that, then you can receive what you're anyway. So for me in my head, love to them is what they're able to do and what they're able to do through Christ. I mean, it would be, it's the same sort of thing of what they know. It would be silly for me to expect Rachel Ann to react the same way that I'm supposed to react because though Rachel's grown up in church, I am, I'm older than her. I have had more years vested in my relationship with Jesus. So I should have a more mature response than she should. And so it's, it's understanding where people are. So loving for them may be, you know what? Not not using the third expletive that day when they want to <laughs> use three and they only use two. But you know, that's growth and that's maturity and that's taking steps. It's not you get saved and you have to be the Pope. It's you get saved and Jesus has made you yeah. a new person and you learn how to walk again and you learn what love is. Yeah. It's for, and this actually goes in, and I'll let you guys respond too, but this kind of goes with something that God had to train me on when I was learning how to love people. I needed to get in his word and understand why. Like I needed to learn why it hurt him if I got angry at someone. I needed to learn why I shouldn't do certain things toward people and why I shouldn't hold grudges and why I shouldn't just get so angry. And that's because that's not who God is. And that's n if it's not who he is, I don't need to be that. But they don't know that yet. And that's okay. It's a matter of being where you're at and being able to show Jesus with where you're at and it's fine if it's a learning curve. Every single one of us up here has been at that point where we don't know what to do. And we want to be more mature than we are in Christ. But you know what? We're just, we're not there and we are going to get mad. But luckily for all of us, we had people that would help pull us up. Loving for that person is finding people who will help pull them up. It's finding people who will shepherd them. It's finding people who will say, you know what? It, this isn't the best way to do this. Here, here's what I do. Here's how God's been able to minister through me. That's why we need people. That's why we need one another. Iron sharpens iron. And we say that for the men's ministry, but it's not just for men. It's for believers. We get sharper based off other people. So that person newly saved Jeff is going to become that much stronger in the word if he is immersed in a body who love him and are going to take the time to not critique him like Rachel said but are going to be able to love him purely what she said yeah. no <laughs> no yeah. the thing that came to me is the importance of for new Christians I think what I've learned over the last couple of years because I mean I've been a Christian I was baptized as a newborn um but really haven't grown up in my Christian faith, but for the last couple of years, frankly, right? I've known the stories, I've known all of that stuff, but really haven't applied it to my life. And I think the thing that I have found is that in growing up, you have to purpose yourself to be around, encircle yourself with other people who are like-minded, right? So it, it became critically important that I build relationships with people like Nicole and Brian and Barrett, and Jeff, and Jade, and Tara, and you name it, right? It's, it's surrounding yourself with people who are going to lift you up, who are going to say, 
mm, maybe you shouldn't use the word pride anymore. Yeah. Say that you're pleased. Yeah. Just the little things. And, and the fact that those little things build on themselves, right? I mean, now on Sundays we're doing this discipleship class, and it's a great opportunity to learn how to grow other Christians. Yeah. Because I think we all say the word, of, you know, the word of faith, the prayer of faith, or the prayer of salvation, and I think a number of Christians think, oh, you're done, check the box, you're good to go. Heaven, here I come. But we don't necessarily do a good job of purposing ourselves to help folks grow up in what it means to have a reset fellowship with God, to have a relationship that is so overflowing with love that it can only continue to express itself in the love that I show other people. I become the hands and feet of my father. But I'm becoming the hands and feet of my father because I'm purposing my, my being, my essence, my spirit, to be surrounded by other spirits who are also working on growing up. Yeah, I'm, nobody here knows me, even though I've been here a lot, except Howard. We're neighbors, and we pal around together. I, I'm very outspoken. I have no problem telling you what's on my mind. And one thing, just listening to everybody tonight, you know, I've learned over the years because I, I don't look it, but I really am quite old. Um, I have learned over the years to uh, about life. And one thing that I've learned, especially in, in the latter part of my life, uh, is more about, about God and Jesus. And one thing that, that, I, that I've learned is that People, we as human beings, like it or not, are self-centered and egotistical. And you'll never admit it, but you are. We, and I don't know if, if it's because we're ashamed to or afraid to literally follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's what he asked. Mm-hmm. That's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I always tell my wife, and it, it really makes me kind of ill sometimes, that when I see people do some of the things that they do, act the way they act, um, I always tell her that, you know, that's a weak person. They don't stand up for themselves. Um I've even gone so far as to tell her that, to me personally, it's not only a character flaw, they've, they've got a problem with their genes because they won't say something when I feel that they should. And that really bothers me. And I think, you know, I'm constantly telling Howard, this world can't stand much more. The way we're going right now, it just can't. God's going to have enough. And if we 
don't do the things that we're supposed to be doing, literally walking in the footsteps of Jesus, trying to be more like him, you better hold on because it's coming. I mean, it's coming fast. I honestly believe that, and it says in the Bible that you talk about gifts, and the greatest gift there is is to give your life for another. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem doing that. Howard's my neighbor. And sometimes we talk during the week, and sometimes we don't. Um, we'll go to each other's houses and talk just because we like to talk to each other. We don't have anything to say, but we'll talk. <laughs> and as my neighbor, and I've never told him this, but I'm going to now. I love you. Yeah. Love you too. And I would, I would literally lay down my life for you. Because I, I'm supposed to. Yeah. And I feel like I have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we see the, the way our country's going, and, and I really hate talking politics. It's our fault. The reason the country's in the shape it's in now is it's our fault. Yeah. We have allowed things to happen that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And we, we voted for people, to put them in office, because we trust them. Supposedly, they are taking care of our business for us. When in reality, they're taking care of our business for them. Um, because of special interest groups, lobbyists, that's who own these people, not us. But for the life of me, I cannot understand why. Because of a certain letter that they represent, an R or a D, we'll turn around and vote for them, put them right back there. That's stupid. Stupid. And if we don't change that, things are going to come and happen quicker than what we anticipate. God's going to have enough. And you never know when that enough is going to be. And it's going to be too late. You can't say, hold on, God. I'll do something different and we'll try and change. Too late. Too late. You need to stand up, put your little girl panties on and big guy panties on, and do something about it now. Like it or not. I'm through preaching now. There's several things that stick out in that, what you're saying. You know, there's the, the verse that says the greatest thing we can do is lay down our lives. And I don't think we fully understand. That doesn't necessarily mean throwing ourselves in front of a bus and literally kicking the bucket. But it's dying to self and letting Christ live through us. It's saying... Well, you know, my, my daddy and my daddy's daddy, my daddy's daddy's always gone to this church or always voted this way, and so I've got to do that. Instead, we die to self and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to vote the way you want me to vote, or I'm going to go to the church that you want me to go to church, or I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. 
That's how we die to self and lay down our life for our brother. Because when we are led by God, instead of led by this, what's here, and we're led by what God puts here, this world begins to look so much different. You know, and your question was, how do you know, you're not a people person. You know, as a Christian, whether you realize it or not, you are a people person. And that's, you know, that was something that Brian's ministered on that. His daddy always said he was an introvert and he didn't like people. So Brian assumed he was the same way and he didn't, he wasn't a people person. You know, and I was definitely the same way when, you know, we started dating. I was, I was scared to look at people, much less talk to them. So I was not going to tell you I was a people person. But the fact of the matter is, as a child of God, I care for each and every one of you because you are his child. So you are a people person. But you're not going to bench press a car when you've never picked up a dumbbell. You've got to work the muscles that you have. You get saved today or you get saved last decade. I don't care when you got saved. You're all given the measure of faith. You all have it in you. You've just got to work what you have. And as you start lifting those weights of faith, as you speak to that one person that's not comfortable, you have to break a sweat. I mean, the world has it great. You go to any gym, I mean, you know, Salvation MMA down the street, wonderful group of people. They rally around each other nonstop. If I have a health question, I can get on here and I can text Haley and I can ask her about food. She's going to tell me how to eat, what not to eat, what to do, what exercises. Brandon's going to tell Brian how to put somebody in a headlock and, you know, an arm bar and all this stuff. They rally around each other. They're there for each other. And we as the body have to do the same thing. We have to be willing to work those muscles. And then when we don't know, pick up the phone and say, hey, Jeff, how do I do this? Yeah. Or, hey, Deb, I, I think I messed up. I did this and I'm probably not supposed to. What do I do now? And that's where the church lifts each other up and serves each other. Instead of always thinking about serving ourselves. You know, there's the scripture that says the son of God came not to be served, but to serve. Each and every one of us are to serve. And I realize this may be a rabbit trail, but if you were in a church watching on live stream here at Boomerang, this is for every body of Christ. If you're not serving in your church, you need to look seriously at yourself and ask why not. This is the house of God. This is where we come to learn about God. This is where we come to love on others who are coming to hear about him. If we can't serve in the church, do we really think we're going to serve in the world? If Jesus Christ came to serve, who are we to think that we can't serve? That our week is too busy? That we have too much on our plate? Really? If we want to say that we love our neighbor, but we don't serve them, we want to say we love God, but we can't serve him on Wednesday or Sunday, do we really think that we're going to serve him the other five days of week? Sorry. Not to step on any toes, but... So I can say this from my personal experience. Um... I'm sure there's somebody out there thinking, you know, the church always wants, 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 wants. And they want me to serve. They want me to give. They, want, they just want my time. They want my talents. They want my money. Just, I'm, I'm already given. I'm tired. I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to love all my neighbors? I got nothing. I got nothing. 
You've got a smile. Uh huh. You've got a word like of that. encouragement. I like that too. You've got an arm to hug them. Yeah. You and work the muscle that you, you have. Know, and that's something that was just in my mind this whole evening. That's it can right. be as simple as a smile. If that's the best you can do today, it can be as simple as just a smile. You know, and I used to, you're in a waiting room or, or anywhere you're in a group of people, look around the room, see if you can pick the Christian out. Mm -hmm. You should. You should be able to. That's right. Yeah. And you should, be able, you should be able to pick the Christian out. And if you can't, then they should be able to pick you out. And that's every day, all the time. I think the comment I made while Jeff was talking was, you can't reap until you sow. So even if all you're sowing is your smile, it's sowing something, right? Yeah. Brian and Nicole talk about it with tithes and offerings. If you don't have a tithe or an offering, sow the envelope. Yep. Mm -hmm. Something. Yeah. Something, right? A farmer doesn't go out to his field and go, mm, grow! <laughs> Without, and then go back home and lay on the couch, right? And tomorrow morning, <laughs> come back out again and look at the field and go, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. I know it's going to grow. It's just they're going to come up. It's going to come up out of the ground, and I'm going to have a full harvest, and I'm going to have a full barn. And I realize that I am probably the most interesting of the four of the people up here. <laughs> I love y'all. <laughs> anyway, my point is you have to be wise about, you know, you can't expect that something's going to manifest without you actually taking action. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to do something. Yeah. You're going to have to step up and say, pick me, Lord. Pick me. Yep. Yeah. And I think for me to kind of wrap up Jeff and Deb's points um, together is if you are complaining about you don't have time, you don't have energy, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have, and you don't have, and your life just seems to have all this darkness in it, and what you're sowing is more hate, you're going to get back more hate. If you're not sowing love, why should you expect to get back love? If I'm not sowing a seed of love, but instead I'm pushing hate and I'm pushing darkness and I'm pushing crap, I shouldn't expect to get something good back. I should expect to get crap back. A dump truck of crap, as Deb just said. That's what I should expect to get back. And it's true. If you're going through... Oh, Rachel, Ann, I'm so glad you're here for this sermon. <laughs> Rachel's like laughing. Um, but I mean, honestly, if I am having the worst day of the history of bad days and I start speaking, you know what? This person ticked me off today and I could have smacked this person upside the head and I'd, I don't know where God was and why he let this happen, this happen, this happen, this happen. You're not sowing anything into your life that's going to reap anything positive. You're sowing bad seed after bad seed after bad seed. If you're wanting more love and more patience, then you need to start sowing that and watch as God gives it back tenfold. And so does anyone, because we're being 95% of our pastor tonight, haha, <laughs> Brian, um, does anyone have any questions, comments, anything? Because we could really do this for hours, but we love you, so we're going to stop eventually. But does anyone have anything? We've answered all your questions.
Seth is contemplating, so we could be here till 10 o'clock tonight, y'all. But I think to sum it all up is to realize your neighbor is anybody around you. If you see them, that's your neighbor. And every one of us, like Lee said, you've got the love of your father, so therefore you have love in you. Sow what you have. Serve them in some way, shape, or form. Be it holding the door for them or giving up your time to sit and talk to them. I know I posted something a couple of months back. I did a volunteer thing through my work. And my absolute most favorite part of the day was at the end of the day, we spent, I don't know, several hours at this one lady's house. And she was 87, 89, somewhere in there. And we did work for her, and we helped anything that she needed, we did. But the best part was at the end, all she wanted was us just to sit with her. She just wanted someone to talk to her. And I got an email today, and this has been, like I said, two or three months ago, where she is inviting us to come to her her house for July 4th and watch the fireworks because she lives near downtown Oakboro. She doesn't know me from Alley Housecat. She doesn't know who I am. But I came and I spent time with her. And therefore, by default, I am her friend. That's all this woman wanted. I served her that day. And I showed her the love of God. And it took nothing from me. I sat on her porch in the shade, in a chair. She offered me water. All I had to do was just sit and listen. Sometimes that's all people need from you is to stop thinking about yourself for five minutes and just listen. Just offer that smile. Or if God says to give him five bucks, give him five bucks. You may save a life. If he tells you to get out of your seat and go sit beside a man, I'm convinced God will not let you go into the path of destruction without warning you. I am convinced to the core of my being, every single Christian on 9-11, in a war, in Charleston Church, there was some inkling of a warning, some way or another, go talk to this person. Don't go to work this day. God is always leading you to triumph. So if God tells you to do something, do it. If it's go sit beside this weird-looking guy, you've never seen him before, he doesn't fit in here. He looks like he's just mad at the world. You sitting beside him and going, hey, how you doing? We're so glad you came. And he may look at you and say, go to hell. And you say, have a good day. And then walk away. What if that one word was all it needed for him to put that gun back on safety and walk out? And he may have gone home and said, I'll do it another day. But the next day, he goes somewhere else and he can't get that out of his head. Every time he tries to hate, all he can remember is the love that was in this man's eyes. The warmth of that feel as he just patted his back. This is how you love your neighbor. You give what you have. It may seem little and you may think that you can't make a difference. That is a lie straight from hell. I can't make a difference. It took one yes for Mary to make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. 
she wasn't married. She was going to get laughed to scorn. What difference can I make, God? I'm not married. I can't have kids. And he said, just trust me. And that's all we have to do is just trust him. Exercise the muscles you have. You will make a difference in this world. Want to close us in prayer? Sure. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. And we know tonight was a little bit different. And, and we're just not going to settle into a routine. And we're just going to... We're just going to take one step closer to you tonight. And we just thank you for all the knowledge and the wisdom that's come forth today from, from everybody who's put into this the evening. We just ask that you bless us this evening. Bless us as the corporate body of Christ. Bless us as individuals. Lord, and whoever's heard a message today that something sparked in them, I ask your special blessing on them. That their life would just be improved and changed. That everybody leaving here leaves a little bit different with more wisdom and knowledge in how they're going to walk closer to you tonight. We just give you thanks for all the graces that you've bestowed on us this week, and we are going to equally seek with enthusiasm the grace that's coming for the rest of this week until we meet again on Sunday. We just give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a good week, and we'll see you all Sunday. Turn into wine Open the eyes of the